Shield up. Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. In terms of wetness, Ben. <laughs> On a scale of one being completely bone dry and ten being just submerged into the ocean, Uh how wet are you right now? I'm like at 11 right now. (laughs) We're dating the episode a little bit. This is the day of one of the epic rainstorms that LA occasionally gets. Yeah, we're getting atmospheric rivered right now, and the river is flowing right through my garage (laughs) building where my studio is. (laughs) Yeah. I got the call this morning from you that that I expected to go like, hey, could we move around the sketch today? Like, because we do it all the time for Miriam reasons. And instead it was a, hey, uh, my office is flooded and I'm bailing water, (laughs) which was just an awful thing to hear let alone to be dealing with on your end. It was nuts. I opened the garage door this morning, which is just like a a roll-up deal. Um, Mm -hmm. And I watched water from outside like flow into the garage when I did that. A garage door makes an insufficient sandbag, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, there's a bunch of water in here. Good thing my office won't be full of water. And so I like spent like 10 or 15 minutes like trying to deal with the water in the garage and then i was like all right well this is like getting more under control let me go like put a couple of things down in my office i could really use a break from bailing all this water i'm gonna (laughs) go sit on my office couch yeah and i still had to watch the episode that we're about to review so i was Uh like i'll go i'll go sit on the couch watch the ep uh clear my head a little bit and i come in and my couch is soaked there's like tons of water in the office itself. Like it seems like there's not really like damage per se, just just a lot of wetness. So I went and rented one of those dehumidifiers from my local home center. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah, hopefully hopefully that gets me through. I don't know. Do you remember that series, that internet series, five second films? Remember watching any of those? Oh yeah. Vaguely. I think a lot of them were very funny, but when you were describing your couch situation to me, I was thinking of the five-second film that was about the Twilight movie test screening, uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> instead of reading like the rating cards, a guy squishes his hand into a seat and was like, the movie's good! It's good. The movie's good. Good movie. It's done. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So was that what you were feeling? When you watched Star Trek Discovery, Season 4, Episode 5, The Exemplar? Yeah, it really flooded my garage, Adam. (laughs) We name-checked the USS Janeway up top, along with the USS T'Pau. Is this a fresh-off-the-line ship, you think? With, like, three crew people? Because that's all they can afford to, to stick on any ship at any given time? I wondered, in Star Trek colon Enterprise, you see more Vulcan ships than in any other mm-hmm. series. And in my memory, they're all that that hula hoop around a middle uh, hull design. When are we ever going to see the interior of a 32nd century Starfleet ship? Is that going to happen ever? Yeah, want to see. Yeah. These are ships that are just kind of floating around, keeping an eye on the DMA. Birds have died. What does this thing want? What does this thing want? DMA. The opening moments of this episode are RSVP DMA. <laughs> they're looking at a at a map like they're playing Civilization. Yeah, yeah. And it's like an entire Civ disappears from the map and then pops up <laughs> on another continent. That's yeah. what happened here. What the hell? <laughs> Is the computer cheating? <laughs> yeah, is this is this an instance of nuclear Gandhi? Yeah. Uh, Jet Reno in there watching the uh, the play-by-play with uh, Stamets. Is it when we get Noah Dira, we do get Jet and vice versa? I had some feelings about this, Ben, because 
like they're working to solve a problem that seems to be pitched right over Adira's plate. Right. And Adira is nowhere to be found. Yeah. If Adira is the Doogie Hauser of Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> don't you want them on this project? I did. I wanted. I, I wanted Adira. I was very glad to have Jet Reno. Like, sure. I, I, no, I have, this isn't anti-Jet sentiment whatsoever. Yeah, Jet, Jet Reno is very fun in this episode, and and I want more of Jet Reno. But it felt like noteworthy that Adira was nowhere to be found here. So Stamets ends up briefing Burnham, Saru, and Book in a McLaughlin group later. Issue one. And I guess Zora is there too because Zora is everywhere. And mm-hmm. if you're doing roll call for any meeting in any part of the ship, I guess you count Zora. Right. Ceiling Zora is watching you masturbate. Uh, Why don't you put her in charge? This McLaughlin group leads right into the next one. Issue two. With Admiral Loki has a world-class vinyl record collection, but isn't showy about it. Uh, <laughs> kind of a weird meeting. It's like, hey, so there's this like former... Emerald Chain Colony that's right in the path of the DMA now that it moved. So we need to go rescue those people because the Emerald Chain still has no dilithium. And then Saru is like, the fact that this thing disappeared from one place and moved, like we now think it's it's an artificial device of some kind. And have you made any plans to address the panic that will surely arise because of this revelation? And... The Admiral is like, uh, this is the meeting where we're first learning about all this stuff. Like, no, there are no plans. <laughs> this is sort of what Admiral guy going through a career change who saw Stan to deliver one time and is suddenly the guidance counselor to school where the students don't respect him really shines. This is what he's there to do. Yeah. The president is running a full court press diplomatically to try and get out in front of this panic. But the idea of like civil unrest due to DMA is, is, is taken as a given, but we've never seen what a civilian population looks like in this future. Right. We rarely ever see it, period, in Star Trek. So I don't really like care that much, but it's like, like what, what, what the fuck does Saru care, you know? The fear in their voices was unmistakable. I mean, it's totally tell and not show because we're supposed to feel something for these characters by their very compassion for these people that we don't see. Yeah. They're like, we want to make sure that the civilian population doesn't tear their garments from their bodies, you know, at the, at the news of this thing. But Unless they're on Risa, in which case that's like part of their culture. I could use a little bit of garment tearing, yeah. I think, rather than the, the suggestion of it. It's, Saru sort of asks the question, like, is it at any point going to be public knowledge? Yeah. And he sort of fondles his brooch while he asks the question. And, and everybody's like, hey, could you actually lower your hand? Because we're shooting this in close-ups. And, uh... I thought the same thing. Like, <laughs> there's no reason he needs to stick his fingers into frame. Right if, now or anytime, Saru. If Saru could Calvin Hudson that brooch a little bit, it would be nice for everyone. That's my thought exactly. I think that this is an instinct that feels like it's coming from disaster films. Like, when the asteroids start raining down on Manhattan, we cut around and see the sassy guy on a bike with a dog. We get to see the yeah. the cabbie. The Michael Bay montage of hyper-patriotism. Like right. Picket fence American flag iconography. <laughs> exactly. We get eyes on the ground. And like I think that what is missing, if we're going to really fear the DMA, like we didn't even really get to see the civilian population on Quajon. Like we've met like three people that lived on Quajon and one of them is on the disco. Right. Like we saw an entire planet blow up, but like Alderan, it has no impact for us personally, you know? Everyone is all about the cause instead of the effect, right? Like there is no mention of stopping this unstoppable force. It is all about who did this shit. Yeah. And they read down the list of of characters they think could have but probably didn't. Right. Cause the DMA, the Q being one of them. Yeah. The Dowd left unmentioned. Yeah, I think the Dowd need to be on that list. Like, And not even just the Dowd, just Kevin Uxbridge. Kevin Uxbridge specifically needs to be yeah. on that list. 
<laughs> who's still just in his Malibu beach house waiting for a phone call <laughs> at any point. Eventually, they will come up with a law to fit my crime and they'll be back. I have an inexhaustible amount of tea. I will literally never run out of tea. <laughs> we call the creators of the DMA Unknown Species 10C. Yeah. Because, Ben, like the DMA was for four episodes, we can't just call things by simple names. They would do 29 previous unknown species, presumably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> species 1A, Species 1B, Species 1C. Species yeah. 2A. Why don't you just call it Operation Ass Cream, you ass? I got through all of those, so so Species 10C is what, is what we're calling them. I mean, this was a moment for, for Reno to call this thing uh, the bird killer or right. something. Yeah. Like, like to quip her, quip her way into the real name for this thing instead it, of Unknown Species 10C. It would have been better. The Admiral also announces that uh, a scientist named Ruan Tarka is getting added to Stamets's team. Uh, this is something that Stamets kind of feels a way about because Ruan Tarka is working on Spore Drive 2.0 and uh, has, uh, has not asked for a lot of input from Stamets, the guy that designed the 1.0 version. Right. And uh, so he's, he's trying to like push back on this and the Admiral's like, um, yeah, no, he's definitely getting added to the team. Sorry. <laughs> Admiral turns to camera and he's like, you remember when I assigned President Rilke to Michael Burnham early on? Everyone is getting a president this season. <laughs> and, and on today's episode, Stamets, you're getting a president. And that's Rowan Tarka. <laughs> Doing everything we can to figure out the DMA. We need to do more, Michael. Burnham visits Book on a ship in a room where, like, we know how the furniture works in this future, right? Yeah. So if you're in a room on Bookship and the bed hasn't been put away, that that's kind of meaningful, right? Because you all you have to say is like, "Go away, bed," and, <laughs> and the bed gets made. Yeah, I think this says a lot about uh, how he's feeling mentally. I kind of questioned this scene. Like, this is Book saying, like, I want to be involved in the mission. But I was also like, we said that there's four hours to do this evac. Why the stop and chat? You know, yeah. shouldn't it be like get to the bridge, get to the colony, like ASAP? Especially like when a little bit later we learn that Reese wants to be a big part of the evac. I was like, cool, an actual Starfleet officer <laughs> is going to work with Michael Burnham on a Starfleet mission. Yeah. And nope, that's no. not what happens. It's the book and Michael Burnham show again. I don't think enough is made of the rest of the bridge crew being like, I'm on Star Trek. And I want to go do Star Trek things. And why does Book get to go on everything? <laughs> I know. I, I, <laughs> get him out of here. Reese is like behind the counter making sandwiches. Book can't just come behind the counter and make his own sandwich. When Reese stepped forward, I felt like almost like the actor going like, this isn't in the script, but yeah. uh, David Ajala <laughs> was trying to get into this episode. And I just, I yeah. can't sit here and let that happen every single time. This is a scene of cast member mutiny that, that made it to screen. I also thought we'd learn that Reese would have a hobby specific to the needs of this mission that right. would reveal itself later. <laughs> I come from a long line of prison escape artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Book follows Burnham to the bridge where... Burnham makes a speech suggesting that she might not have an opportunity to make a speech later. Like, <laughs> got to get this one out of the way before the theme, just to be sure. And so she does. And when the ship arrives at the Radvik chain, this is one of the cooler exteriors I think we've gotten on the show. Like, oh, the very yeah. name suggests what's inside the tin. But what you're seeing is a bunch of asteroids chained together yeah. in a pretty fun way. I really liked it. Um, yeah. I, I, I wondered, like, to what extent the Emerald Chain literally <laughs> had this as a kind of colony, as right. like a widespread uh, type of habitat within their borders. This should have been the symbol of the chain that we saw last season. Yeah. This is a cooler symbol than that. Yeah, it's a cool symbol. Yeah. They meet with the... Uh, political leader of this of the Radvik chain 
who I feel like should have been played by Chris Pine's dad. (laughs) No, thanks. Not only because he's a belligerent political leader, but also because they find out that there are some prisoners that are getting left behind. And he's like, well, they're going to die in the disaster. And this is a very effective deterrent for future crimes. Chris Pine's dad made for characters like this. We just watched an episode of Voyager featuring this exact character played by exactly Chris Pine's dad. And it would have been a fun reprisal, you know? Yeah. (laughs) The magistrate is there to tell Michael Burnham that this is a classic Star Trethics story we're going to get in this episode, (laughs) wherein... Are you you making a play to write a spiritual sequel to Menu Sadia's Trichonomics book? (laughs) I am, yeah. He would never work with me on something like that. No, no. (laughs) He wouldn't even blurb the cover. Nope. (laughs) so that's the problem right there's these six prisoners that they plan to leave behind but because this is star trek you can't possibly do that yeah the challenge to the situation is they're in an area of the asteroid that's that's protected yeah by a technology that prevents them from beaming in and out or from using communication so they got to go in on foot i assure you it has proved to be a most effective deterrent and michael burnham looks directly into the camera and says i'm the captain I'll go do that with my boyfriend. And everyone just hangs their heads, including a Lieutenant Christopher on the bridge. Yeah, he's there now. He's there now. And uh, hey, thanks for giving Commander Nilsson five seconds in this episode. Yeah. She's rocking some prom photo dangles that had me checking her wrists for a corsage. I really like the look. She's uh, really looking photo ready in this yeah. episode and does get name checked as being like left in charge when Burnham goes on her adventure because Saru has to go down to engineering to supervise the science because the science is exquisitely dangerous in this episode. I'm not suggesting this is the truth for Sinequa Martin-Green or Michael Burnham, but who's the action hero? Is it Ving Rhames? No, it's The Rock, right? Who who has it in his contract. Like you can't lose a fight right, on yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can punch him, but he can't really feel the punch. Why aren't we seeing other bridge crew people? Like, we see so little of them sitting in the chair or actually making command decisions in in Burnham's absence that it makes me wonder if there's, like, a rule in place on the show that prevents us from experiencing that for some reason. It felt like a utility in season one Mm -hmm. because we start on the Shenzhou and that crew is taken away from us really quickly. And so it it was like, Oh, like maybe this is going to be about like switching around from ship to ship or something. But at this point it really stands out how little we know about these people and how much it's like, I guess Owo is probably the one we know the most about, but she hasn't Mm -hmm. really gotten a big episode in a long time. Detmer had, like, a little bit of an arc last season, but has, like, barely done anything this season. But they kind of transfer Detmer's confidence-slash-grief issues into every other character. Yeah, there's, like, a distribution of of trauma this mm-hmm. season that, that was, like, really focused on, on her and Stamets last season. Right. It's getting frustrating. I will, I will say that. I mean, it's a quality we've described in a lot of tiny ways throughout the season, which is like when you distribute the feelings to everyone, you feel those specific feelings less as a result because they're not grounded in any specific character. When they're given to every character and everyone's feeling the same thing, yeah, I feel less as a result. Right. Hi. Over in the Culber Stamets condo, we get a cowboy shot of Culber that makes it look like he buttoned his shirt in that way where you start with the top button that's wrong and then by the time you make it to the bottom you realize like like one half of it's hanging lower than the other and you got to rebutton the whole thing yeah Stamets is there to change his shirt because he wants to make a good impression with Ruan Tarka but he is pretty cranky about the the way he's been treated 
by the other scientists working on spore technology. I thought this was hilarious. He's like, he's not showing me the professional courtesy that I used to not show people. This is a Stamets thing. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of my deal. And so Kilber kind of calms him down a little bit and is like, just, you know, kill him with kindness or whatever. And then is marching out the door and Stamets is like, I've noticed that you are very burned out lately. How about some (laughs) advice from me to you? And... Culber's like, no, 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 no. I give advice. I don't yeah. I don't accept. Back on the bridge, we finally meet Rowan Tarka, there to say the quiet parts out loud. Mm-hmm. And he immediately clocks Saru's feet as if his fingers aren't the strangest thing about him. So much to admire and improve upon. <laughs> He's got the swagger and assholery of a vintage Stamets. The Stamets you keep in a barn under a tarp, you know? <laughs> right. And maybe maybe you drive around on the nice days. Yeah, you, you rub it with a diaper every so oh, often. Yeah. Keep the paint yeah. lustrous. You, you use the expensive wax mm-hmm. on that vintage Stamets. Yeah. Uh, so they are off to engineering to go do some science and Tarka has his big entrance as big time asshole. Well, let's get started. DMA awaits. Back on the prison rock, Book and Michael Burnham and Hollow Rees. Is it Here's the thing, is this Hollow Rees or is this Flash Transport Rees? I think because there's no like sparkly particle effects, it's Hollow Rees. But why is Rees wearing the costume armor of an away teamer down there? Well, well I guess because he's he's helping with the evacuation. Yeah, right? there's like a All there's right. like a rally point for the evacuation, so he's like going down to supervise presumably. But yeah, like I I thought about that like if if you were a new to Star Trek person and you saw mm-hmm. people beaming but also people hollowing everywhere, <laughs> you'd be like, I don't really know why sometimes you beam and sometimes you hollow. Like what's the what's the difference? This is the meme of the guy looking at the butterfly, and he's like, is this beam or is this hollow? (laughs) It's got to be confusing. Yeah. Could you imagine you're going out on a date with someone and you think it's beam, but when you lean in for the smooch, it's hollow? Oh, man. Yeah. You just fall through the table. Put your face in a plate of spaghetti. Yeah. I have like a couple of friends where like sometimes our primary mode of communication is text, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's Twitter DM and I don't really mm-hmm. know why and I don't know what <laughs> the context is that like sometimes we're doing this on DMs and other times we're doing it on texts. Um and I that's sort of at this point what hollow versus beaming feels like. <laughs> it's like any sufficiently advanced Hollow technology is indistinguishable from <laughs> transporter. <laughs> is that what's going on yeah, here? That's the famous quote. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> when we see Kovich later, he hollows in, but he's yeah. back at Federation HQ, presumably. So he couldn't beam to he couldn't beam to chain. Especially for the people from their century, this should be more confusing to them than it is. <laughs> <laughs> you turn around and somebody's there and like sorry i just need to ask did you hollow here or did you beam here because i have i have a baseball i want to throw you and i don't want it to just fall on the floor there's like way more touching than there would be because it's just the <laughs> test right okay like whoosh. ow a lot of uh, accidental face slaps <laughs> This is what we need Tilly on the show to do. She'd be great at this. This is what where she shines is yeah. is is uh, cutting through the awkward moments with comedy. One awkward moment happening here between Rees and Book and Michael Burnham. Uh, yeah. So Rees is telling Book and Michael Burnham that he joined Starfleet because the town where he grew up was hit by a massive hurricane, and Starfleet helped him out with like bailing them out and stuff. Are we supposed to believe that wherever Rees lived was without the weather generator technology that we know exists in the Starfleet future? The kind that that makes bad storms impossible? I mean, Ruan Tarka comes from Risa. <laughs> yeah, w- the Wharf Storm is legendary. It's, it's just a TV show. I looked up Rees's character. There was no... No you know, planet of origin. Place of planet of origin from him. Because it would make I, sense for like Saru, right? Like he comes from a planet where his people didn't have technology. If all you have 
is three sentences of backstory for a character, I think you got to make sure yeah. it's bulletproof. I got to say, I uh, I was a little judgmental of Reese when I watched this episode yesterday. I was like, <laughs> he comes from an ideal utopian future, and his and his town got washed out by a fucking hurricane. This morning when I watched the episode, I was like, poor guy. (laughs) (laughs) I know that feel, Reese. That Uh fucking sucks. I wish somebody would beam the water out of my garage right now. Yeah, so I was thinking about this as the scene continued, and then I had to like sort of snap back into focus, which I don't think is the intent of any dialogue written for screen. Like, it bumped me. Yeah. Like, come up with a Star Trek explanation for why his town got messed up. Yeah, and I'm thirsty as hell for more backstory for all of these bridge crew people, and that was like just a drop of water in an empty cup there. Yeah. Give me more. He's the tactical officer. Maybe he lived in a a colony that got overrun by ex-belligerent alien or whatever. I don't know, man. Like like you were alluding to earlier, make it having to do with the prison instead of with the evacuation. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's a tactical officer, one could assume there would be a connection there, but I guess not. Book and Michael Burnham take a walk toward the prison where they encounter a suspicious beetle. Oh, yeah. Which they reveal to actually be a crawly landmine. I love this guy. Dung beetle that's explodey is a pretty scary idea. (laughs) I'm with Book. Like, I'm not someone who is afraid of spiders or, or insects in general, but like... I remember in school opening up that page of the encyclopedia for like world's giantest beetle and being horrified (laughs) at its size and the sound that it was supposed to make. So when book is squicked out by this, I definitely felt that squick. Yeah. And that's without knowing that any beetles are landmines on earth. Like that would, that's just another level. How about a landmine that shoots circular saws also, Adam? When I'm doing home renovations on the Radvik chain, I like to keep a couple of extra circular saw beetles next to the table saw. We're cutting through a lot of local rock on this week's episode, and the blades wear out fairly quickly, so we've got a good supply in these Radvik beetles. Really fun little monster. I feel like the monster creation on Disco this season has been especially great. Absolutely. Really, really clever new ideas and good executions of them as described in dialogue, I think. Yeah, yeah. In the engineering section, Saru and Tarka and Stamets are talking about the DMA. Stamets is kind of like doing the what is the DMA spiel again for like the fifth time in this season. And Tarka's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's episode five. Like... (laughs) But Saru, like, now that we know that it's artificial, Saru raises the question, like, is it a weapon or is it like a Roomba and it's just, like, clearing <laughs> space? I love this idea. This is just a bowl in a China galaxy. Yeah. Like, it doesn't know what it's doing. I mean, if it winds up being Roomba, that's kind of, I feel like, bad sci-fi writing because... Like, the main thing about space is how empty it is, so you wouldn't really need to, like, clear a bunch of it for any reason. I mean, it is suggested in this scene that it's been sent there through space-time, right? Like, yeah. And then what I thought in this moment was, was it sent from the past or from the future? Right. Yeah, and, like, that's... No one asks that question. Or, or like, a different plane of existence. Is it from the mirror universe or something? Yeah. Um... There's a uh, visual aid that Tarka does where he replicates some mashed potatoes and a pea, but no whisk, Adam. Nope. And I I didn't really understand what I was looking at because of that. I didn't either, nor was I aware about whether or not you could shoot an unauthorized phaser aboard a starship in this century. Like, a visual aid needs to really connect with its audience, and, and this just... I I didn't know what he was trying to illustrate. I mean... Through context clues, you and I finally <laughs> land on the idea of Tarka wanting to make a working model of the DMA. But we can sit around doing math or we can get our hands dirty. Yeah, he's saying that there's like a gadget at the middle that, that it is making the, the, the effect. So why don't we make a, a little version of the gadget and see what, uh, 
see what we can figure out based on that. It seems dangerous until Stamets describes how it isn't. Yeah. And then we're out of the scene, which is perfectly which safe. Which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like when they uh, were booting up the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, and everybody was like, Aren't you worried about making a black hole? And they're like, No, not at all. <laughs> and now Switzerland doesn't exist anymore. I don't know, man. Maybe it did create a black hole, and that is why everything is the way it is. <laughs> like like doom, it let evil into the world. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so at the prison, they're shooting these mind beetles, uh, and the mind beetles are shooting back. But Michael Burnham shuts down their systems, and they enter the prison facility with... Next to no delay. Yeah. Like, they make it right in there. And the prisoners inside are not enthusiastic to see them because we learn they are in there for very minor infractions. There's kind of a main prisoner guy named of Felix who is like, they don't deserve prison. You know, he stole a loaf of bread to feed his family. And, and why are you coming to save us now? This is so unjust. You should have come a long time ago. So this is basically your fault, and we're not going to go with you. So now you care. Did you understand at all the mechanics of this prison? Because it seemed as though they were kind of in a solitary confinement together kind of thing, where they're they're kept in these little cages Yeah. that Burnham and Book, you know, like turn off they turn off the little hollow walls of them like were they stuck in these tiny cages for 30 years because if that's the case the versions of people that we get here should be crazy now you're talking semantics what if i told you insane was working 50 hours a week in some office for 50 years at the end of which they tell you to piss off i think that this could have been solved in dialogue like they're 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 referred to by that political leader guy as the examples Mm -hmm. and i guess you could surmise that that means that they're the examples for the entire colony period like nobody else is locked up or let's get super dark with it like maybe those things were display cases that they were locked in and and when the guards left they locked them in those cases but like ordinarily those display cases would be in a public place with like a two-way mirror and then like weird sex shit happens inside. Mm, yeah. Or they're the examples in that they're the prisoners that are getting left behind, but the others aren't? I don't yeah. know. I was confused. The prison didn't seem super prisony to me and it wasn't well illuminated by the script. I feel like part of part of the punishment on the on the uh, Radvik chain is being locked up in a room with Felix, who is like super self righteous, but also super yeah. guilt ridden, but also like doesn't make a lot of sense in the demands that he makes of people. What is your fucking angle, Felix? Like eventually, Michael Burnham is like, "Hey, um, we risked our lives to come here and get you guys, so could you shut the fuck up?" Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Whatever it is, it's not worth it. We, we... It is to me. There's a real video games narrative happening in this episode where, like, you know, Solid Snake has to turn off the security system and then defeat the beetles that throw the saw blades. And then, like, it's a very process-oriented yeah. situation that, that Book and Michael Burnham have to deal with. And in this case... You know, they got to turn off the security system to get everyone out. Yeah. They need to break in and break out. And uh, the only way they're going to be able to do that is by destroying the power source for the force fields. They're not going to be able to uh, just turn it off by throwing a switch. So this is going to take a little while, and it's going to involve just phasering the power source, which is conveniently in the same room suspended above their heads. Right. Back in Culber's office, Kovitch arrives for a meeting that Culber himself requested, but is trying to push off. Much hey. like you and I have a schedule for recording the show, and we know <laughs> what it is every week, and one or both of us is constantly nudging it around for reasons. Hey, could we go 15 minutes later today? I'm taking big poop. We should edit all this out because uh, our incoming producer is going to really yeah, hate yeah. that about uh, us. <laughs> it's true. 
Um, yeah, Kovic is like, hey, uh, 10 minutes really isn't enough for a therapy session, but I took time out of my day, so you better use it or lose it. And yeah. Culber describes what is, you know, on its surface, a pretty basic doctor burnout. Like, I am caring for everybody so much that I have stopped caring or whatever. I, th- I mean, everybody can get burned out, obviously. But I think that it's like a uniquely challenging problem in fields where people are specifically taking care of other people. And I thought this, this was like one of my favorite scenes in the episode because it was really interesting character stuff about Culber that draws on his entire history as a character on the show mm-hmm. and that like compounding savior complex layered with having been resurrected and feeling like weird guilt about that is so unique and interesting about him as as a as a character when was the last time you thought about that because i hadn't thought about it in so long yeah it took kovic to to give voice to that for me to go oh yeah like that's culber's backstory I remember now. <laughs> no. Because no one refers to it ever. Culber doesn't even refer to it. He doesn't bring it up. It's, yeah. it's, it's bottled. It's what I do. It's, it's who I am. It's, it's the way you escape the persistent guilt of being alive. Every so often my therapist will like mention something that I mentioned to her like three years ago. And wow. It, I'll be like so impressed that she like remembers something like that. And... I was like, Kovic met Culber like six months ago and like got a very detailed psychological history about him and has a has a theory of the case. Pretty impressive. I also really like this scene a lot. The part that I found most affecting was like Culber having to give people hope when he doesn't feel that hope himself. Yeah. He's like, I know the suggestion is a bunch of people are going to freak out if they find out this thing is... uh, it's artificially made. <laughs> but like until I see the freak out, like how am I going to know what the stakes are? What we should do is cut to the streets of New York. <laughs> do we just not have matte paintings on this show? Can we not <laughs> cut to a planet surface where there's some maybe light rioting? Yeah. I have a two o'clock. Goodbye. Back at the jail, the force fields get dropped and the prisoners are like, cool, we're out. Deuces. <laughs> And Michael and Book have to, like, put their guns back up and, and, like, no, 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 you're in custody. Like, you're still not free to go. And Book explains, there aren't ships for you to escape on. Like, everything bugged out when the colony, you know, like, they're not positive that the colony is going to be destroyed, but they're pretty sure. A lot is made of that question later on. But the prisoners are like, you know, if if it means going back to living under the rules of the Emerald Chain or or whatever is left in the wake of the Emerald Chain, we'd you know, just as soon stick around and take our chances. This is such a great negotiation, because these prisoners have nothing to negotiate with. Yeah. Their negotiation is, we're not going with you unless you promise we're not going to get given to the Akali for more of this unending punishment. And Burnham and Book are like, well, we're kind of on a timeline here. We got to go or else we leave you and you're going to die. And they're like, yeah, you're going to leave us to die. It's a weird kind of bargaining where like no matter what they would lose. Yeah. Like whenever one side is the only side that cares about a thing, it gives the opposing side that kind of power. But it also like morally compromises them. Right. I don't know. In this scene, I wrote down, like, why not refugee status? It just seems so obvious to me. Right. And I yeah. couldn't believe that it, like, waited a bunch of scenes for Michael Burnham to come up with that idea. Yeah. I start Starfleet general orders and regulations. I was, like, disappointed that that was the solution, honestly, because it was, like, it seemed so nakedly obvious in this moment. It seems strange that the prisoners didn't ask for that specifically. Right. As if they didn't have the vocabulary to describe the thing that they wanted. That is realistic because many people that are seeking refuge don't know like what their legal Mm -hmm. rights are with regard to asking for it. But um, Michael Burnham is like a 
dyed in the wool federation true believer she should like yeah it should be top of mind <laughs> refugee status should be like the first thing she offers anybody she meets that should have been the mission from the start right she's going down there to free the prisoners then what yeah she should have had this chambered you're right, right. you're totally right so michael burnham offers the prisoners refugee status and they're like okay that seems pretty cool we'll go with you and Felix is like, cool, let's, uh, let's get out of here. I just got to get one thing. And he goes into uh, his cell and pulls out uh, a Christmas ornament. And Michael Burnham's like, what's that? And he's like, I've kept this uncomfortable chunk of metal in my ass <laughs> the entire time I've been in this prison. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. Like, he gets into his cell and kind of squats out of frame, and we don't really see what he's doing. <laughs> uh, he explains that this is, like, a very important family artifact for the uh, type of alien that primarily inhabits this colony. Uh, it's, like, their family history encoded in a Christmas ornament, and he needs to get it back to its rightful owner, and uh, she's like, okay, cool. Like, this is taking a long time. Could you maybe tell the story while we're walking toward the exit? <laughs> Let's get moving. Yes. Look, it's sort of like um, how me and Book walked into the prison taking what we're calling an exposition walk. Like, we could do an exposition exit here very yeah. easily. <laughs> and they get over to the door, and the door slams in everyone's face. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and another force field goes up. Bad news. Good thing Burnham can turn off and on these Beatles at will because uh, Burnham turns the Beatles back on and they start kicking ass out there. This is a really fun scene where you just get hundreds of little Beatles exploding outside and throwing their circular saw blades into the exterior of the prison until they finally get in, like the door is opened and... There's that fun moment where you got to turn off the Beatles, Michael. <laughs> He's like, turn them off, turn them off. They're, they're in the building. <laughs> and just in the nick of time, they are switched off. Yeah. One of the most fun action moments in the episode. And, yeah. uh, and so they're able to get out of there. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. In the engineering section, they need to get Saru on board with the idea of the mini DMA getting fed more power. uh, Saru's really worried about this. He's like, you know how Stamets said that this wasn't going to destroy the ship? Uh, If we feed all remaining ship power into it, it's going to be a little bit of an unknown. Uh, Very fun moment where Tarka gets Saru to yell to show how much fun it is to be slightly out out of control. I saw this scene and I was like, why don't we make Tarka the ship's counselor? This guy's great. This guy's got interesting ideas. Tarka's the kind of ship's counselor that walks into the room and turns the chair around, right? Yeah. But Saru doesn't want to allow the additional power. He's put the ship above the experiment in a way that makes total sense. Stamets has come all the way around on Tarka, though. He's he's yeah. now backing up his asshole rival, with Saru asking for more power. It's like siblings asking their dad to borrow the car kind of vibe happening here. Totally. And, and Saru is kind of forced to capitulate. But he is given a kill switch. Yeah, he gets like a giant holographic, you know, like electrocute the prisoner style yeah. switch. <laughs> yeah, weird choice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... So they're going to run this experiment. This is going to be fun. Reese is telling Saru that the evacuation's almost done. He hasn't heard from Burnham yet. So you still have time to do this experiment. We'll be fine down here. But like Saru is given this this timeline now. The evacuation is the primary mission here. This DMA thing is secondary. There is only so much overhead power that they can draw from. And so they start to dial up the mini DMA and the containment starts to lower in strength. And Saru's like, maybe feed some of that power into the containment. And that won't work because they need as much power as possible to stabilize the reaction in the mini DMA. This gets more and more intense till there's like 5% containment and Saru shuts the experiment, much to the chagrin of Tarka and Stamets. Uh, Jet Reno tells Stamets that this is the closest he's ever come to, d- to blowing up the damn ship. That's hard to believe. It is. It's another tell-not show. I felt the danger of the moment, but I didn't really, like... It's not like it was expanding beyond the border of its containment. It's not like we were feeling bangers at all. Yeah. Like the visual language of danger was tempered. Yeah. I feel like if there was some damage done to engineering or if we Mm -hmm. like cut to the bridge and they were like shaking around up there going like, what's going on? (laughs) Is engineering the only facility on the Discovery without flamethrowers inside? Maybe maybe two to a couple of flames. Yeah. A couple of flames would have been fun. Yeah. So outside the prison, you could guess what was going to happen here. Anyone who's watched any television for any length of time is going to know that Felix is not going with him. He watches the other prisoners flash beam away, and then it's time to get him out. And Felix is like, look, unlike those other people who got life sentences for jaywalking and card counting and whatever, like my sentence is actually apt for what I did. So I'm going to go ahead and serve out my time here. And, uh, if you want to stay in touch, maybe we can trade this Baoding ball for that uh, communicator and you guys can get on your way. 
And you know. Felix is happy with the arrangement, and Book is not. And he's especially not when they beam back to the Discovery and Book just, like, leaves Burnham on the bridge in a huff. Book is fucking furious that Burnham let one more person go down in the face of the anomaly. And I get that, you know? Like, he had to, like, watch, like, look this guy in the face, decide to decide to die in the same way that Book's entire planet died. Yeah. Maybe don't take Book on these missions. Yeah, maybe take a real Starfleet with you next time. (laughs) I don't know. You got a bridge full of people. Yeah. So... Nilsson in this scene is able to confirm that she is rocking great hair this episode mm-hmm. and that the asteroids will be wiped out yeah. momentarily. And Burnham gets on the phone with Felix and this guy wants to describe his crime. He wants to share his pain and Burnham offers to bring down the cone of silence and he's like, no, no, everybody needs to know what I have done. And he tells the story of being like poor and this and homeless, and this guy offered him like a place to shower and sleep, and he robbed the guy, and the guy caught him doing doing the crime. He, he killed him in the struggle while his daughter slept in the next room, and only later realized that uh, he'd stolen their their family history in this artifact. And so he's he's felt super guilty about it, but he doesn't have any way of getting it back to her. Um, so he, he he smuggled it through the prison the entire time. The one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Uh, he would like Michael Burnham to uh, close the loop on that. Yeah, so if you aren't too busy. Yeah. Uh, I would wipe off the ball. Yeah. I know I just handed it to you and you just stuck it in a pocket, but like really... Hot water. Would be good. Like, you know when you go to a dentist and they ask you to bring your retainer because they have a thing that can clean the retainer better than you can? Yeah. You want to put it in that device. The retainer cleaning device is what you want to use on this little ball. And then don't ever clean a retainer in that after. <laughs> you just throw it away. Yeah. That machine's going to be done for yeah. after this task. But trust me, it's worth it. So they watch as the Radvik chain is pushed by anomaly waves into the sun and uh, I was sad to see it go. Like the Radvek chain was such a cool location. I wished yeah. uh, I wished they didn't get rid of it. Yeah, that was cool. The president guy comes up to the bridge and is and is like, "Why are you letting all those examples walk around with everyone else?" <laughs> yeah, I mean they're walking around with our people counting their cards like it's not a big deal, and it is a very big deal. <laughs> We're trying to do close-up magic, and they're calling us on all our sleight of hand and stuff. Yeah. Michael Burnham fucking smashes this guy's balls in two. Yeah. Over the hypocrisy of now being a refugee species, needing the grace of strangers to survive. Yeah. And also being the kind of people who make jails like the ones that they just visited. So maybe clean your own fucking house, magistrate. Yeah. Probably want to look at the alien trash of the galaxy in the mirror <laughs> before you start judging everyone else. So, um, pretty heavy-handed message. Yeah. Stamets and Culber winding down at the end of the day, talking about how they both use their work to avoid uh, their feelings. I thought that this was an interesting observation, that these characters are more similar than they seem on the surface in some ways. Yeah. I don't want to like tip tip my hand too bad. I think generally speaking, this is a really bad script and a mm-hmm. bad episode of Star Trek Discovery, but there are really good moments in it. And this was one of them, I thought. Like the whole Col- Culber story arc in this episode, I thought was good. I agree. But like everything else, it's like insight fatigue, though. Yeah. Not There's not one character that gets to have that. It's everyone getting to have it. Yeah. Uh, Michael Burnham takes an elevator down to meet Petra, the daughter of the murdered man, the man that Felix murdered. On her way, mm-hmm. uh, she has a quick chat with Zora, who says, hey, I have feelings now. And Michael Burnham's like, okay, good to know. And then no more about that. We got to meet this character we've never met before. 
give her back her family tree, which is what we find out this thing is. And then she's really appreciative of getting it. And then it shows her face appearing on the family tree above her father. Yikes. What? (laughs) So that's how it works in their family. (laughs) Yeah. I also disagreed with the placement of that piece of fruit. What the fuck? (laughs) Maybe that's the cause of her expression at the end of the episode. I don't understand how that gets out of post-production like that. So many people had to sign (laughs) off on that being where the picture shows up. That's not how a family tree works. No. That's not how any of this works. No. (laughs) So what's funny is like her image is put onto the tree above her father's. And then, like, a hollow image of Felix approaches the tree, and her father's branch gives something to Felix, you know, out of the kindness of his heart. And then, like, that branch is just chainsawed off by Felix. (laughs) What the hell, Felix? Very shocking depiction of a family tree there. Yeah. Does not give her comfort. It's like prison didn't reform him at all. (laughs) Yeah. Why wouldn't Petra ask about the orb and how Michael Burnham got it or anything? Because or, or what's that smell? Or Given the significance of this object to her, uh, that would have been top of mind to me. Yeah. So did you get this from the guy who murdered my dad? Like, I wanted to see a variation in reaction at the conclusion of a Star Trek Discovery episode away from relief or satisfaction or solving a problem like i wanted this character to be upset by this a little bit pedra had shockingly few questions yeah another character who does not want to be asked any questions is book drinking alone yeah because he prefers to be by himself and then tarka slides up with some real risian whiskey yeah i i feel like risian whiskey would come in a bottle like you know, like some premium tequilas will come in like a glass pistolero or <laughs> yeah. uh, or whatever. Like Risian whiskey just comes in a set of boobs or something. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not even suggestive. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you unscrew the nipple to pour it out. <laughs> yeah. Book does not want to have any of this and instead levels an accusation at Tarka that goes like, you know, who made the DMA, don't you? And Tarka says, no, he doesn't yet. But he knew it was artificial before everyone else and yeah. uh, is is further along in his thinking. And um, the last little shot is of the back of Tarka's neck revealing that he presumably was also a prisoner of the Emerald Chain, right? Right. Yeah. I mean... I want to believe in the 32nd century, you could remove that without leaving a scar. Right. But maybe he wants the scar. Yeah, it's a nice memory. Yeah, so he's really been through some shit. Maybe he's a character we can't quite trust. He's been through some shit, so what we're going to want to do is put him in the retainer cleaning device. (laughs) Crank it up to high. Has anyone ever seen this device, too? Like... We know it it exists. Yeah. We know the, the tech leaves the room with your retainer and comes back with a clean retainer. Is it even the same retainer? I'm picturing it being something like what a jeweler puts, you know, a pair of earrings yeah. into to make them more lustrous. That's got to be it, right? Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? I liked elements of it, but I don't like episodes where it seems like we're making creative decisions that serve a story that we're trying to tell instead of the realities that the characters are living in. Yeah. Like, this seems like a very intentional choice to make it an Adira-free episode, which is fine. Like, not every character is in every episode. But when your story is about an engineering problem that needs solving, Adira should be involved. Yeah. And that is just one example in an episode full of situations where we're putting characters together to serve an interest of a story instead of a character. Like, Book constantly going on these missions with Burnham. Is anyone going to say anything about this ever? Like, couldn't and shouldn't Saru say something about this? He shouldn't be going on these missions. I'm with you. Like, I... There are elements of this I like. I think the character of Tarka is really interesting. 
Yeah. And a is going to be a fun running character. I thought that the Culber storyline was was really interesting. I loved the idea of the dung beetle bombs. Yeah. A um, lot of really fun ideas in this episode for sure. The but, experiment itself, like the DMA in engineering looked cool and scary. But it felt like almost like season tail ag- wagging episode dog where it's like we yeah. need to like do some more shit about the DMA, which is like I'm sorry, I just haven't gotten to a point where I feel like I give a shit about the DMA. <laughs> like it has It takes it takes more than destroying an entire planet to move your needle. Well, it just feels like something that Picard would have sorted in one episode, you know? Like, I think that Discovery has done the whole season arc of giant problem that we need to solve well, and this Mm -hmm. does not feel like it's doing it well at this point. I am not an anti-serialized season of television person. I'm down. Yeah, it's like 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 I like one of the things I'm looking forward to is like Strange New Worlds is supposed to be a return to episodic Star Trek television. Yeah. I'm not excited about that because I don't like serialized television. I'm excited to see that because I want to know if it's possible for a new Star Trek to do it. Yeah, and and this just feels a bit like disco paint by numbers at this point and I'm totally prepared for them to have a bigger idea that has not revealed itself yet. Like, I think that, you know, Control and Leland and Section 31 in uh, in that season, you know, was such a, like, multifaceted idea and the way it, like, interacted with previous things from the first season was interesting. And then, like, in last season, The Burn was, like, a pretty interesting idea. This doesn't feel like it is a new enough thing to be bringing to the table to merit an entire story arc and feeling a little down on disco right now i mean and we've talked about a lot and we we still have not said anything about the idea that zora is emotional and self-aware and michael burnham has not brought this up as a potential problem with anyone for any reason (laughs) and it makes her look like a bad captain for not doing that this is a possible threat that is right in front of her face telling her that it is a possible threat and like, she doesn't do anything here. Maybe it's a threat, maybe it isn't. It's at least interesting, you know? It's not like something yeah. that you're like, okay, what an interesting thing to learn on an elevator and then not talk to anyone about. Yeah, I mean, it could be solved with a stitch of dialogue. All Starfleet ships are self-aware now. Okay, or, good to know. Right. <laughs> but instead I'm thinking about this as a scene goes by, and now I need to back up the episode in order to catch myself up because I'm distracted by a question that could easily be answered. Yeah, I don't, I don't like ending an episode of, uh, of our show this way because I don't like dicking on something that didn't like quite achieve what it set out to achieve. And in retrospect, maybe there's something good about this episode that I'm not, I'm not picking up on yet. You know, maybe, maybe. Two episodes from now, we'll see that this was laying a bunch of groundwork for something that's really incredible. But right now, I'm, yeah. I'm not feeling great about this episode. You're yeah. right. It could be an episode that's laying a bunch of pipe for for later on. And that retroactively might be revealed to be something great. But we just don't know that at this point. All we can do is take it for what it is. It's an episode five. It's like smack in the middle of the season. It's right. an inflection point. Where yeah. are we headed? We don't know. Can't tell you, but uh, what we can tell you is that we have some Priority One messages. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Then our first Priority One message is from Jonathan, and it is to Ben and Adam, and that message goes like this. I am an old. Sadly, I've been bedbound during pandemic due to a crappy illness called chronic tophagius? Tophicius? Ankylosaur. Tophicius. Gout. Oh, man. Your shows make it much more tolerable. Thanks. I found out this gout is also called Harrison Syndrome. Whoa, I didn't know I had a disease named after me. My doctor tells me it is a uric acid problem. 
Not from too many podcasts, but just in case, what are the symptoms of Pranica syndrome? <laughs> I mean, if uh, if urine is the is the problem in Harrison syndrome, I would say poo is probably the problem in in Pranica syndrome. I thought we made clear uh, the reasons for diarrhea, Ben, the nickname. <laughs> but I think you're right. Yeah, it's the other stuff that's that's Pranica syndrome. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably like Crohn's disease, only worse, right? Yeah, gotta be. God, I uh, I do know some friends who have gout. I don't know if it's this version yeah. that Jonathan is speaking of. And that it sounds is, really uh, tough, man. It's a real pain in the ass. I'm really sorry to hear this about Jonathan. I'm really glad that that our dumb show can can uh, help give them some comfort. Yeah, uh, fingers crossed that that's something that. Uh, you can see some improvement in over time, Jonathan, and thank you so much for the P1. Well, that's our only P1 on the episode today, Adam, um, but if folks want to get a P1, uh, we have lots of availability in the next several weeks, so uh, get at us. It's MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Yeah. Why would you ever get a P1 on this show? It's one of the great ways to support it. It is. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself and Edward Larkin? I got to give it to Petra. I don't know if this is her fault or not, but that uh, placement of the face on the family tree above the father. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. Just, uh, it made me laugh out loud when I saw it. I felt like she was the, the Larkin for me. How about yourself? I mean, I really love Tarka's character here. Yeah. Uh, Tarka makes a big splash. Sean Doyle from The Expanse. Oh. Probably where you recognize him, right? I like The Expanse quite a bit. Yeah. That is a good show. I hope he sticks around for a little while. I'd like to know more about this guy's deal. And I hope he mixes it up with Stamets a little more. I like Stamets getting out of his comfort zone a bit in a way that... uh, find exciting uh i do too uh really fun character I, I love a character that makes a big entrance like this well anyways uh that'll do it for this week's episode of the greatest discovery we don't yet have any information about the title or description of next week's episode so uh i'll just have to let you know we will be here for it and uh in the meantime here go some credits which will probably be bad because Adam's doing them this time. Hey, it's me, Head Cold Adam. And because this might be my last time recording these credits, I really need to make them count. Boy, am I looking forward to this year being over. One of the things I'm looking forward to the most in the new year is our first live show since 2020. It's at San Francisco Sketchfest, coincidentally the site of the last show we ever did. Like all of our live shows, it'll be about a Star Trek movie, and this time it's about Star Trek IV, the one with the whales. So if you live around San Francisco, and according to our podcast dashboard metrics, Miriam of our listeners do, we'd really love to see you for what's going to be a really great night for the Friends of DeSoto. Uh, The show is January 20th, and tickets are already going pretty fast. Make sure you get yours in time by going to bit.ly slash tggsketchfest and grab them before they're gone. Hope to see you there, and hope to see you next week on another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.